What is up, futurists? It's Friday, September 25th, and I'm coming at you this morning with the best one yet indeed. Just to remind you about the one-of-a-kind podcast you're listening to, this is Our Future, the business podcast for young people, where you will get advice from the best in business twice a week and learn about the explosive trends at play in the most exciting industries. I can't believe this one. My next guest is Paul Vogel, the CFO of Spotify, the music streaming monster that you're probably listening to this podcast on right now. Paul has been at Spotify since 2016, steering the ship through a complete blitz scale from 30 million to 138 million subscribers. And on the finance side of the business, he helped architect the company's revolutionary plan to go public in a direct listing. And when you hear about these big, massive deals Spotify is pursuing with creators like Joe Rogan, Kim K, and Michelle Obama, he is running the numbers. Thank you, Paul, for taking a shot on a random kid who cold emailed you. And shout out to Fiona Lee, who manages financial communications at Spotify, for making this crazy episode happen. Let's dive in. When you were 20 years old, did you see what you were doing now, like back then? Did you know you wanted to do finance? Did you ever see yourself as a CFO? What was the perspective, Paul? I really didn't know. So uh, I went to Penn um, and I was a liberal arts major. So I was an econ major, but I stayed in liberal arts. I actually didn't apply to Wharton because um, quite frankly, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and so I kind of figured it out a little bit in, in college that sort of, I was a math science guy. Science wasn't going to work in terms of being a doctor because I just really can't stand the side of blood. So it was either go, go the other direction. So I ended up in the uh, in that sort of finance business world. And you know, at that time, it was the mid to late 90s, the sort of the first internet bubble, the first internet boom that just sort of started in 95 and was, and was started from there. So, you know, school pen funneled a lot of kids to Wall Street. I just sort of ended up at Wall Street because I honestly didn't know what I was going to do with my life. Um, but I was really fortunate that the where I ended up was um, as an equity research analyst and in, first as an analyst and then as investor. Um, but internet media was the industry that I sort of landed in from the outset. So for me, it was perfect because it was just, you know, even though I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life, this was just perfect fit for me in terms of what interests me. Um, So it was great. Paul, let's fast forward a bit to 2016 when you landed at Spotify. And let's just put some numbers in perspective since uh, you're on the finance side. Um, 30 million subscribers, 100 million users back in 2016. And at the end of 2019, you guys ended with 100 million subscribers and 250 million users. The velocity of that growth, was it jarring to the organization or did Spotify have a culture and kind of controls to absorb all that energy and all that growth? Yeah, it, it's a great question. I would say a little bit of both. Um, so I'll give you a couple more numbers. When I started, we had right around 1,500 employees. We now have over 6,000. Um, you know, you know, we're now actually close to almost, you know, last time we reported 299 million users, 138 million subscribers. So we continue to sort of grow to your point. And I would say, if you take a step back, just in general, whatever you do in, in life, whatever job you have, the number one thing is work with good people. Work with people you respect. Work with people who challenge you. Work with people who you learn from. Um, hire the best and the brightest. You know, I think the mistake people make is they're afraid to either work with or hire people they think are going to, you know, show them up or, or be even smarter than that. No way, man. Hire the best people always and work with them because that's what's going to make the most fun. And I think about the thing about Spotify is it's just a culture of really good people. Everyone is looking out for each other. Everyone is collaborative. Everyone is, is out for the, you know, the, same, the same goal, which is how do we make this bigger and better? 
And look, we, you know, I think a lot of people look at it and say, well, look, Spotify is huge. It's an amazing company. It's, it's big. We were battling and we still are Apple, Amazon, yeah. and Google, yeah. right? So we go against the three biggest tech companies in the world. And we found a way to be the biggest, you know, streaming platform out there in the face of that competition. And that only comes with having the right people who are just dedicated to just doing something different and better than everyone else is doing. It's, you have to be willing to take risks as a company, right? So we're, we've never been afraid you know, to take risks. We, we experiment all the time. We used to do tens, then we did hundreds. Now we do thousands of experiments every quarter in terms of the product and making changes. So you have to be willing to, to go out there and, and you know, have a belief in your convictions. Absolutely. It's crazy that Spotify goes to bat with, with these Goliath type companies. Paul, when people think of corporate finance, especially my age, like, oh, it's, it's numbers, like they're just crunching the, the Excel worksheet. But the way you've described your job is, is through the lens of enablement. Can, can you touch on that a bit more? Yeah. I mean, I think what's really interesting about our jobs is you can be a real important strategic thinker to the organization. And you know, the amazing thing about Spotify is, you know, in most companies, but us in particular, it's, everything's about data, right? We're a data-driven company. So everything we do from a product perspective is going to be data-driven. And everything you do from an investment perspective is going to be data-driven. And so when you have the numbers, when you have the analysis behind what we're doing, it allows you to allocate your assets responsibly and to, for the best possible outcomes. And so from a finance perspective, it's not simply about what are the numbers coming in and how are we doing, but we actually take those numbers and say, okay, What's actually working? What's not? How do we think about where we should be actually doubling down and spending even more money? So again, you look at our, our podcast investment. So we're making a really big investment in podcasts. We're, we're spending you know, a lot of money on content, on innovation, on product. And all of that comes with, okay, what, is, what are podcasts doing for the organization? How is it helping user growth? How is it helping us retain users at a higher rate? How is it helping mm -hmm. to lower churn for our subscribers? You know, which pieces of content are the most valuable to us? Which categories should we be spending more money in? Which geographies should we be spending more money in? All of these decisions come back to the finance department. It's all about how do we look at those numbers? How do we think about those numbers? And then how can we help the company allocate the assets in the most effective way? So it's really not just about the numbers or the, or the uh, you know, kind of the input. The output is, is all this strategy and all this innovation that comes out of the way we think through it. Yeah, and Spotify has so much data, and those data that data tells a story, but that data could also be viewed as an asset in that Spotify has this great deal of omniscience about what goes on in the music industry, in the podcast industry, using it as a way to to say, hey, we know a lot about what what you're doing, um, and we can give you the insights and the analytics on it. Look at our next closest competitor. We're we're twice as big as them, if not more. And we actually know that our users are way more engaged um, on our platforms. They spend about two to three times the amount of time on our platform than they do on some of the competing platforms. So we actually believe we get somewhere between five and 10x the amount of data about what users are doing relative to anyone else in sort of streaming audio. And so what's that allowed us to do? A, it gives us tremendous amount of insights to help creators and help the labels actually grow their businesses because we think we can glean insights that nobody else can have. So that's sort of helping out creators and that ecosystem. And then from the consumer standpoint, we're able to give you the most customized, personalized experience because of all the data we have. And the thing that we've been known for early on is our ability to help you discover more content, help you discover music you didn't know you were going to want to listen to, help you discover artists you never heard of. And all that comes from us uh, gleaning all this information out of the data. And we'll do the same thing with podcasts. And so 
you know, if somebody listened to um, an interesting podcast, maybe yours will come up next and say, hey, you know what? You know, you listen to Paul on this podcast, maybe listen to Paul on that co- podcast, or this is a finance topic. So here's another finance topic, or, you know, here's a couple of, you know, the top two or three brightest college students doing podcasts. And so if you listen to this guy, you should listen to that guy. And we could help glean that, which actually helps you as a podcaster. So now your audience is getting bigger and we're help, helping you find consumers that you otherwise wouldn't have found. And the consumers are saying, hey, wow, I had no idea this, this college student who's doing a podcast from his dorm room, you know, has such an interesting podcast. I should follow him now. And, and now it's a better experience for me as a consumer. Exactly. And discoverability is definitely a challenge in podcasting. It's so cool. You guys can curate playlists and use that data to kind of do what Netflix did in feeding recommendations to people. I mean, that is just such a huge area for any consumer facing business. But let's go back to the finance side. In 2018, you guys went public unconventionally in a direct listing. Uh, I'd love if you could kind of define what a direct listing is and why it's different from the status quo to my listeners. Uh, and further, just talk, maybe touch on why Spotify was was really well positioned to go with that strategy. Yeah, so in a traditional you know IPO, you're gonna have an underwritten offering with the banks, and the banks help underwrite the offering. They take on some of the risks, and you sell shares. Um, normally, in that instance, you're gonna be selling a part of your company to raise money, so you can you know grow into the future. Um, you know, for us, what was interesting was we had seen the traditional IPO process. So it was myself and my predecessor, Barry McCarthy, and, and said, like, there are inefficiencies, we believe, in how companies go public. And there are things that we want to do differently that will benefit us. So what were those? Well, one is generally when you go public, um, there's an element of you're going to sell shares. And we didn't need to sell any shares because we're a free cash flow positive company. We had plenty of cash on the balance sheet. So for us, going public was less about raising capital and more about giving an opportunity for liquidity for some of our earliest investors, uh, as, well as, our, as well as our employees. So we didn't re- need to raise capital. So that was sort of one element uh, of the equation. The second component was we didn't think there was a need to go out there and discount our stock price as people would buy it so they can make an automatic 15, 20% gain on day one. Like that just does seem inefficient. How does that help us? We should actually do stuff that should advantage the people who've been with us for the last five, 10 years, not the people who are buying us very recently. So we didn't want to have to sort of create this artificial pop in an IPO stock. So that would be another reason. The third was we wanted our employees to be completely on par with everybody else. So in most traditional underwritten offerings, there's a lockup period where employees and initial shareholders can't sell for 90 days or 180 days. or you know, And we didn't want that. We wanted to look, if anyone else can buy and sell on day one, we want the same thing for our employees. So the direct listing was another way where our employees and our original investors who, would, who were with us for 10 years, who helped us grow this business, wouldn't be disadvantaged in any way on the day we went public. Awesome. Uh, every tech company, it seems like in Silicon Valley, many of them unprofitable, going for the public market, going for the traditional IPO. Uh, as a corporate finance professional, how do you weigh growth versus profitability? Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, for us, we have really stressed growth over profitability for the last you know number of years. It's been about we're in a market share game, and we want to grow users, and we want to grow subs, and we know. Um, that that's sort of the number one thing. But within that, there is a there are some financial cons, you know, constraints or at least a parameters for how we think about it. So for us, one of the things we look at is what we call LTV to SAC. So it's lifetime value of the user relative to SAC, the subscriber acquisition cost. So for every for um for every um subscriber we bring in, we're thinking, all right, how much are we going to get over the lifetime? So what's in that lifetime value calculation? So it's how long are they going to be a platform for? 
and basically um, what's the gross profit we're going to have over that period of time, and then you sort of discount it back. And then how much does it cost to bring them in? So in theory, anything above one means you're bringing a profitable sub. You're getting more profits than you are cost. And for us, we've been able to maintain that ratio at about two and a half to three times, which means we feel like every subscriber we're bringing in over the long term will be profitable to us. So that's kind of sort of one way of thinking about it. The second thing for us is we're fortunate as a business that we're free cash flow positive. So despite the fact that our PL shows us making a loss, from a free cash flow perspective, we actually bring in more cash every year than we have to extend out. And so each year, the cash on our balance sheet is growing. So from our standpoint, it's been we want to grow a market share because as long as we're growing what we believe are profitable users, their LTV to SAC is, is high, you know, that is that is really good for us. And as long as we maintain that we're free cash flow positive, that's also really great for us. So at some point in time, we will, you know, we do believe you need to show real profits and you need to show, you know, an income statement profitability. Um, but we believe we can do it. And, and the interesting thing is, you know, my, my predecessor Barry used to say all the time, you know, profitability is a managed outcome. So what do we mean by that, right? So our gross profit margin right now is around 25%. And if we wanted to, we could tweak how much R&D we had. We could tweak how much marketing we had. We could find a way to show, you know, an operating uh, income profitability or net income profitability if we really thought we needed to. But we don't because of all the things I talked about, right? We believe we're bringing in users and, and subscribers that are profitable. We also know we're free cash flow positive. So we believe that this will actually be the bent to the benefit of the long-term uh, business model. Spotify is all in on podcasts, you know, the, the blockbuster Joe Rogan deal, which made headlines. We've got Michelle Obama, we've got Kim Kardashian, even Batman up there uh, on Spotify's exclusive content. It really reminds me of what, what Netflix did with its original content uh, and bringing on top creators. But these the, the best pool of creators, they command a huge premium on, on working with them and, and getting that content. Um, how do you view these deals like from a financial perspective? And you kind of touched on it earlier, but how are you rationalizing these various uh, deals with these awesome influencers? Yeah, so it's, it's another really good question. And so I think there's, there's two components to all the deals in terms of how we think about them. So on the one hand, there's the, there's the very obvious and, and simple, right? We're, let's just take Joe Rogan, for example, right? We're licensing Joe Rogan now. He's going to be exclusive on our, podcast, on our platform by the end of the year. And from a simple math, you could say, okay, well, how much can we generate in advertising versus how much we're paying to license Joe Rogan? And does that make economic sense, right? That's sort of one bucket you're in, but that only tells sort of part of the story. The other part of the story is having things like Joe Rogan on the platform. What we're able to measure, and we're getting better and better at this is, okay, how many new users are going to come to our platform because we have Joe Rogan? And if they're new users, what do we have gotten them in any other way? So that's one component. And then when you think about, okay, are these users now engaged, both our existing users and new users? Are they more engaged with the platform? Are they staying on the platform for longer? Are there more minutes per day and per month? And what we know is the more engaged you are as a user, the more likely you are to retain and not churn off as a user or subscriber. And so what we're trying to measure is two components. One is just a pure economic benefit, right? How can we measure the overall profitability? but also what's it doing holistically for all of Spotify. And so for us, what's really interesting, it has this, this dual track benefit of, you know, we think over time we'll be able to turn these into you know, profitable endeavors, but also we're able to grow users and have them retain longer, which is huge for us. Because again, when you think about, we talked about LTV to SAC, right? If I can spend less to acquire a new user through marketing, or I can think about it a different way, is my overall LTV to SAC getting better? 
and am I able to sort of grow users in a way that is sustainable mm -hmm. and profitable? Um, and so that's how we value the pieces of content. And you know, we're going to get you know bigger. We we're investing in, as you mentioned, a whole number of them, and and that's really mostly just the U.S. And we'll continue to expand. So, Paul, to, to round this interview out, I'd like to ask about your career advice to a young person uh, that's graduating college that's going out into the world today. Um, you know, how should they be looking at things? Number one, work with good people, work with smart people. I don't care what the company says. I don't care what it says in your resume. If you don't work with good people, it's just never worth it, ever. Um, that's number one. I would say number two, don't be afraid to take risks. Um, don't be afraid to put yourself out there. Um, you know, I, like I said, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I sort of figured out, honestly, somewhat later in, in my career, right? I'd spent 20 years on Wall Street before I um, moved over to Spotify. And you know, it was it was scary, right, for me to, to look and say, okay, I actually don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I actually want to do something different. And how do I get there and how do I figure it out? And so um, it took me a little time to figure out. It wasn't like I just flipped the, the switch and said, okay, I want to go be on the track to be the CFO of an amazing public <laughs> internet company. It didn't happen that way. And it, sometimes it takes time and you have to figure it out. But um, number one, work with good people. Number two, I, I would say follow your heart. I mean, it sounds so obvious and I know a lot of people sort of use that cliche um, but if you generally do things you love to do and you generally work with good people you will have success and for a lot of people success is different things some people it's financial success some people it's emotional intelligence success whatever it is you're after you'll find it if you're actually true to yourself and, and what you want to do um, also know your career does not go up in a straight line nobody's does um, or at least some people do but it's pretty rare you're going to have bumps along the way, and it's sort of how you handle those challenges that really, really matters. And I would say the last thing is, you know, work hard um, and just be a good person because um, you never know when you may work with someone at one point in your career, and you're going to come around in five, 10 years later, and they're going to be the hiring manager for another job, or they're going to work at a company you want to be at. Um, and just treat everyone with respect, treat everyone how you'd want to be treated. Um, don't ever be intimidated by, by somebody else. You should learn from people if they're different than you, if they're smarter than you. Um, and it all comes around. I will tell you, the, all the best jobs I've ever had have all come from people that I've met a, along the way in, my, in jobs that then said, hey, like you should come here or you should work there. I'm going to put you in touch with this person. Um, and, it's, and oftentimes, it's not somebody who you would expect. It wasn't the person who you worked directly with. It was someone who you met tangentially because they worked at your company or you met them a couple of times at meetings and you didn't really know them well, but you just you know got along or had a good conversation. So just be open to meet people, be open to talk to people. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Paul Vogel, CFO at Spotify, giving us a peek into one of the most exciting companies in the world. And as an up and coming podcaster, you can imagine how it feels right now to have finally cracked Spotify's C-suite, which was a goal of mine for a long time. Have a killer weekend, stay safe and healthy, and of course, stay frosty.